I still find these numbers staggering. Four years ago, 43% of all women in federal prisons in this country were indigenous. Now we've crossed the threshold of 50% of all federal prison women in federal prisons are indigenous, despite the fact that indigenous women make up only 5% of Canada's total female population. But that figure alone shines light on a major problem that has been known for decades now. The Supreme Court called overrepresentation of indigenous prisoners in our federal system a crisis more than 20 years ago. There have been studies, commissions, inquiries, recommendations galore. So why does it appear to be getting worse, not better? Why does it matter? And what can be done about it now. Joining me now with more is Corey Sheffman. He's a lawyer for Indigenous Peoples and Organizations at Otheus Clear Townsend in Toronto. Thanks for your time. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ben. It's perhaps worth reminding, I think people may know anecdotally what these statistics are, but it's perhaps worth reminding listeners just exactly how staggering the overrepresentation of Indigenous women in our in our justice system is, in our penal system. Absolutely. And, you know, it's important to note that it's not just Indigenous women, although that's the statistic that led us to being here today. Indigenous people generally are massively overrepresented in uh, Canada's correction system. Last week, we passed the 50% threshold where 50% of women, of all women in Canada's uh, federal prisons um, are Indigenous. But in some provinces like Saskatchewan, for example, 98% of girls in Saskatchewan's youth jails are Indigenous. In Manitoba, 70% of all inmates are Indigenous. So this is a a national problem that... um, uh, you know, it isn't limited by uh, by province or gender or anything. And yet it's a it's, you know, in your in an op ed you wrote for the Globe and Mail recently, you point out, of course, that the Supreme Court flagged this, um, you know, more than 20 years ago. I mean, we've known about this issue for ages. What do you think the if you know a problem exists, wherein lies the problem with fixing it, do you think, in this country? That's a really good point. And it's it's not even just that the government and the courts and the people who make these decisions identified it as a problem. The court, the Supreme Court of Canada was calling it a crisis 20 years ago. Um, there have been multiple Supreme Court decisions. There have been multiple government reports. Um, the Aboriginal Justice Inquiry, uh, led by Murray Sinclair, former senator, um, talked about this again decades ago. Uh, you know, And we've reached this point where I'm certainly not the only one asking, far from the only one asking, what else is there to study? We know what the problem is. We know that the systemic racism that is leading to the overrepresentation of Indigenous people in Canada's correctional system um, is not going to be solved by incremental policy change anymore. What's called for now is a more radical solution. I'm going to ask you about that uh, absolutely because I think it's a fascinating point you bring up this idea of decarceration. Do we understand uh, through all the studies that we've done? Do we understand why the overrepresentation is there? I mean, I think anecdotally one knows that if you end up in the system, quote unquote, early in life, chances are uh, you end up staying in it to some extent. Um, we've seen that obviously in the United States um, with different groups. Do we understand what the issue is? I don't think that we can say that there is one issue. If I had to say that, if I had to give you one issue, it's racism um, and colonialism. Uh, but I think that's a, you know, it's a, that's a minimization of, of what the real problem is. And I think we need to give, we need to give it more 
uh, explanation than that. Um, and so I'll give you a couple of examples. First one is um, the, um, uh, sorry, uh, the first issue uh, that leads to this problem is that we see uh, an over-policing of Indigenous people. If you look at where Indigenous peoples tend to live, um, those often in urban centers are uh, over-policed, which means that there's just too much police attention paid in those areas. We also see a lot of um, things that aren't either aren't really crimes or shouldn't be crimes, um, or things that... Uh, the, the crimes that are being committed are being committed for reasons other than, you know, quote unquote criminality. And what I mean by that are administration of justice offenses. Those are things like if a person is out on bail and breaches their bail order, they may go to jail for that. But the thing that they're going to jail for, for might be drinking alcohol or being out at night. Those aren't crimes, and yet people are going to jail for them. Um, the other issue is what the commissioner of the uh, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls report said, which is that many of these people aren't being um, locked up for their, their crime is that they're poor. Um, the, 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 the problem is that crimes of poverty are leading to, uh, to incarceration. And the last thing I want to point out is um, the, uh, the child and family services to prison pipeline um, in different parts of the country. We call it different things, but children who are being apprehended for, is, um, again, disproportionately Indigenous children. In, in the Prairie provinces, it's up to 90% of children in CFS custody are Indigenous. And there's a well-documented pipeline from that system to prison. How do you then differentiate, though, between legitimate cases of concern where, you know, as, as awful as it can be, where children end up in, in, in child and protective services and the ones that aren't? Where, where are we making the mistakes, do you think? Not enough um, attention is being paid to supporting parents. Um, the, the, you know, in, in um, Ontario and Manitoba and Saskatchewan in particular, but in other provinces as well, systems called birth alerts have only recently been turned off. Um, it, basically, what the system did was when Indigenous women in certain places had babies, the CFS worker would be at the hospital ready to take the baby away from the mother in some cases, before the mother even got a chance to hold the baby, um, they weren't given a chance to be good parents. Um, we need to be giving more. Um, and this is, you know, this applies to the CFS system, but it applies to all of how we address the problem of over-incarceration. We need to be paying more attention to prevention. We need to be giving funding. We need to be providing supports for the systems which, are allow, which allow communities to succeed and which allow families to succeed. And you've also mentioned clearly that within the legal system itself, the you know the the ability to to find and have representation within the court system is also an issue for those who can't afford it. That's right. Um, in Ontario, the Ford government uh, massively cut legal aid, but frankly, in every province and territory in Canada, legal aid is grossly underfunded. Um, you can put all the money you want to prosecutors and judges, but if defense, if defendants don't have lawyers, if accused people don't have lawyers, that's going to tie up the system. Um, so legal aid needs to be better funded. But th there are already solutions in some parts of Canada um, that I would call forms of decarceration. Um, 
that are doing good work, like Winnipeg's Drug Treatment Court and Toronto's Gladue Courts. Um, and there are a number of other examples across Canada. And the purpose of these courts is to help avoid incarceration, is to, to divert people into other solutions. The problem is that these, these solutions are also systemically underfunded um, because they're seen as like touchy-feely. They're seen as being too soft on quote-unquote criminals, um, but really th- they, they are cost-effective for society at large than locking people up. That was one of the arguments that always comes up is that it's not just a question of of those who end up behind bars. It's also a question of just how expensive it is to incarcerate people in general. If you want to take just the just the economic argument, um, it's so expensive that we that we're almost beholden to find a way to solve it no matter what. Yeah, there must be a better solution. I mean, no matter whether you're looking at it from the human perspective, which is that these people shouldn't be locked up or the financial perspective, which is that we're wasting a ton of money locking people up. Um, They're not productive members of society when they're in jail. No one is obviously, but the other problem is that Canadian jails are notorious for doing a bad job at rehabilitation, regardless of whether you're indigenous or not. Um, the, The limitations on programming and services that, allow uh, people who are incarcerated to be rehabilitated, to become productive members of society again when they're released from from jail and prison, uh, they're just not there. And so what you end up happening, what you end up getting is what you mentioned earlier, which is a a vicious cycle. Um, Once you're in the system, it's very hard to get out. I'm speaking with Corey Sheffman. He's a lawyer for Indigenous peoples and organizations at Otheus Clear Townsend in Toronto. We're talking about the staggering number, the staggering overrepresentation of Indigenous Canadians within uh, the justice, within the correction system, but certainly uh, the overwhelming majority or overwhelming number of Indigenous women in the system now above 50% uh, in our correction system. After this, we'll look at, uh, we'll look at potential solutions. We've been talking about it for a long time. We've been studying it for a long time. Uh, we'll talk to Corey about ideas behind what can be done now to finally fix it. That's I'm speaking with Corey Sheffman. He's a lawyer for Indigenous peoples and organizations at Otheus Clear Townsend in Toronto. We've been talking about uh, the ongoing problem. It was called a crisis 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago by the Supreme Court. The ongoing problem of overrepresentation of Indigenous uh, peoples in our correction system, uh, specifically in this case, women. Uh, we crossed a, uh, a quite grim threshold uh, recently where more than 50% of the women in our correction system are Indigenous. Uh, Corey, you've talked about the idea of decarceration. Uh, What does that mean? What does it look like? Uh, It's a great question. Um, And I think for a lot of people, decarceration is sort of a funny word. And, you know, what could it what could it mean? What it means is not locking people up. And it means even more than that, it means removing people from prison. Um, Incarceration is the word we use to say when we're locking people up. And decarceration is what we say to when we're saying we're removing people from jails and prisons. you know, it's not as simple as just opening up the gates and letting people run out, although there are um, scholars and lawyers and many people who do support uh, prison abolition, uh, and there are good arguments in favor of that as well. Um, but what I'm talking about is changing the way that we look at the criminal justice system to recognize that it is an injustice that the number of Indigenous people who are locked up is what it is, that that number doesn't reflect the proportion of um, criminal activity that 
is taking place in our society uh, and that we need to be taking action to remedy this problem, which isn't just tweaks here and there. Decarceration means fundamentally changing the way we look at, you know, quote unquote, crime and punishment in order to address a social, a societal problem, which is a stain on Canada by any understanding of uh, the Canadian justice system. And you've seen examples, and you mentioned some Canadian ones earlier, you've seen examples elsewhere that appear to be working. That's right. Um, the United States, I mean, has very big prison problems, no question about it. But thanks to the hard work of um, of advocates and activists in the U.S., there are programs in some states that are doing a good job of addressing decarceration. Um, one of the easiest things that the government of Canada can do right away is to retroactively repeal the mandatory minimum sentences that were brought in um, under the Harper government. Um, these were, and I want to be clear, this isn't just a conservative problem. Uh, NDP and liberal government, provincial governments across Canada supported them when they were brought in. But it's been found um, through numerous studies that mandatory minimum sentences don't work. Judges need to have discretion to give punishments that fit the crime, that are based on the, the circumstances. Retroactively ending mandatory minimums will mean that some people who are currently in jail serving sentences will be released because their sentences are preemptively or retroactively removed or reduced. That's a real way to address the overrepresentation of Indigenous people in, um, in our jails and our prisons. There are other solutions as well, like creating new opportunities and better opportunities for addressing the root problems, the root causes of, of crime, um, like uh, Commissioner Bueller of the um, uh, Missing, Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Inquiry said, um, a lot of Indigenous people... Um, the, their crime is essentially that they're in poverty, and addressing the the causes of that po of that poverty, giving uh, indigenous people, making sure that indigenous people living, for example, on reserve, have access to clean water, have access to healthcare, have access to safe and nutritious food supply, um, are all ways that you can address these things that are leading to the, the number that you said earlier, that more than 50% of women in Canada's prisons are Indigenous. What do you say? I mean, there'll always be the argument about criminals should be treated like criminals. And wherein the problem lies is the problem lies in defining what a criminal is to some extent. Uh, if it's just breaking of the law, then you have to look at the laws. I mean, it, it is such a complex problem. I imagine there's been a lot of goodwill out there in the last 20 years to try to fix it or 30 years. Uh, but it is such a complex problem to some extent that we don't see it done. What do you say to those who, who, who talk about law and order and minimum sentences work because, you know, you need to teach people a lesson. What, do, what's the argument there um, against that? So uh, there's a couple of arguments. Number one is um, the, the overwhelming majority of um, analysis shows that um, punishment and I will say that the Canadian correctional system has never been defined, uh, at least explicitly, um, as a system of punishment. The, the, the stated goal of the correction system is rehabilitation. And so if your argument is, well, we need to punish criminals, you're in the wrong country. It doesn't do rehabilitation well either, but punishment is not, is not and should not be the goal for most people. Um, you also look at why crimes are being committed. 
you know, is it the same thing if someone steals a loaf of bread to feed their family as if they steal diamonds from a jewelry store and, you know, put them on the black market? I don't think it's the same thing. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that that context is really important. But then you also need to look at why the people who are being arrested are the ones who are being arrested. Um, I used to live in Winnipeg. And when I was there, I practiced criminal defense law briefly. And I would regularly see um, young Indigenous men generally um, being uh, arrested for the crime of biking on the sidewalk, riding their bicycle on the sidewalk. I mean, this is not a crime that I would ever get arrested for if I was biking in my neighborhood. They're getting arrested for it because the police want to search them to see what other things they might be able to get them on. It's racism, pure and simple. And it's something that we is not simply limited to Canada um, and doesn't affect only Indigenous people, but it does disproportionately affect Indigenous people. Corey Sheffman, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it tonight. Thanks so much.